Well, The Jamie Show. If you're listening to this show, that means you're ready for breakthroughs. This is where you'll get a deep dive view of relationships that work and relationships that are a no-no. Here's your host, Jamie Hirsch. Hi, our guest today, Heidi Puddle, is a licensed marriage and family therapist residing in Washington State. She earned her Master's of Science in Counseling Psychology in 2006 from Cheminade University. Though her experience ranges from social work in the emergency room to working with military kids and families, the majority of her career has been spent working with couples, specifically focused on addressing conflict, improving emotional intimacy and communication, and rebuilding trust. When not in session, Heidi enjoys reading, working on personal and professional development goals, spending quality time with her friends and family, and traveling. Hey, Heidi. Hi, good morning. Today, I want to talk to you about the approach I use when doing couples therapy, and it's called Gottman Method Couples Therapy. It's an evidence-based, integrative approach. It includes a very thorough assessment process that entails a conjoint session, individual sessions with each partner, and several written questionnaires. Um, and the way that the Gottmans conceptualize cases, they use what's called the Sound Relationships House, and there's several levels. And each level has been found to be very important in terms of research about what helps couples to stay together and be happy and have long-lasting relationships. So the first three levels, are about friendship and just building that strong foundation. They include love maps, which is basically how well do you know your partner? So if someone were to ask you, you know, what are their worries? What do, what stresses them out? What brings them joy? Um, what dreams do they have for the future? You'd be able to answer that. So then you'd know that that love maps piece would be in place. Um, it also includes affection um, and the level of respect respect that's present within the relationship, and then finally turning towards. So when your partner makes an attempt to engage, do you participate or do you ignore? Basically, how do you respond when they make that bid for your attention or your affection? So another component is positive perspective, and that's if your partner says something to you and it's neutral, do you take that in at face value? Um, or do you automatically assume it's criticism and it comes into your perspective skewed? So the opposite of positive perspective is something called negative sentiment override. And that means they just kind of automatically hear it as criticism. Um, a really huge component of the sound relationship house and of relationships is managing conflict. So, um, I was watching a reality show recently, and a couple was having a disagreement, a conflict, and the guy said, I don't want there to be any conflict ever. And I just want to point out that although conflict can be upsetting and it can be uncomfortable, it's a normal and necessary part of being in an intimate, committed relationship. Um, you know, relationships are like a cross-cultural experience because you're bringing your culture, your values, your beliefs, um, and you're creating an entirely new culture. So research actually indicates that 67% of conflict is perpetual. So that means you can't solve it. So 
of the things you conflict about, you'll probably come to a resolution. However, that 67%, you're instead going to have to try to understand where your partner's coming from and find a mutually acceptable compromise. You have to find like a shared meaning. Um, so if you're thinking that the grass is always greener on the other side, it is not. You're just trading in one set of problems for another because there's always going to be that 67%. Um, and then there's life dreams. So that's when you want to create an atmosphere in your relationship that encourages your partner to talk openly and honestly about their dreams and aspirations. And even if one partner has a dream that the other has no interest in, are they still willing to support their partner in pursuing that dream because they know it's important to them, even if they might not agree or understand why they want to pursue that dream? And then lastly, the two walls of the sound relationship house, we're thinking one-dimensional here, are commitment and trust. So commitment just being that... Um, you're believing that for better or worse, you're going to get through whatever comes your way as a couple. It's a focus on, like, we and not I. Um, and then trust, meaning that you believe your partner is always acting in your best interest, um, that they have your back no matter what. And that can mean, like, if you're hanging out with a group of friends or if, you know, you're with your in-laws, like, who are they siding with and where is their loyalty line? So that kind of sums up the levels of the sound relationship house and how the Gottman approach um, conceptualizes cases. Wow, I love you mentioned that, you know, the grass is not always greener on the other side, and that's interesting <laughs> to know. 67% of perpetual, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah, I know we like to kind of fantasize sometimes about, oh, it just their relationship looks so much better, or, you know, it would be better if I were with someone else. Well, not necessarily. Wow. Well, I get that there are four communication patterns that predict divorce, Heidi. Can you share about that? Yeah. So research has found that there's four, like you said, negative communication patterns. Um, they're based on years of research from Dr. John Gottman, and he can actually predict divorce with over a 90% accuracy based on observing what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the end of days. So the first one is criticism. Um, it's typically the most common. You know, you're going to have complaints from time to time about your partner, but no one's perfect. And so it's more about how you choose to communicate those grievances that matter. So, for example, instead of saying something like, oh, you always leave your dishes dirty in the sink, you're such an inconsiderate slob, you could say something more along the lines of, hey, I'm feeling overwhelmed by all the dishes piling up in the sink can you help me out by cleaning them up before I start dinner? So you're not attacking their character, right? You're not saying you're inconsiderate, you're a slob. You're directing your complaint towards a behavior or a desired action. So in this case, the action of doing the dishes. You're expressing a need. You're not you know, blaming them and degrading their character, if that makes sense. Um, the second one is defensiveness, and that usually comes into play when you're anticipating or you perceive um, information of criticism. Um, it can look like denial, um, over-explaining, raising your voice, uh, interrupting your partner, trying to dominate the conversation, um, argue 
rationalize, basically justify. Um, bottom line, you're not taking responsibility. Instead, you're trying to transfer that blame onto your partner. Um, you're not saying, you know, you're saying it's not me, it's you when you're in a defensive position. Um, and the best thing to do is just to take accountability, apologize, and then, you know, do what you said you were going to do, for example. Uh, the third one, stonewalling, is kind of considered a form of abandonment because it communicates this message to your partner that you don't care. So stonewalling looks like um, if you're met with silence or your partner refuses to participate in a conversation or your partner withdraws um, or avoids a conversation. Um, a more concrete example would be, let's say, um, your spouse is spending all weekend watching sports instead of participating in family activities and you sit down and explain to him that you don't have a problem with him watching sports, but you really just want him to take a few hours to spend some quality time with the family. And he responds by, you know, folding his arms over his chest and muttering whatever, and then just goes back to watching the game. That's an example of stonewalling. Um, so sometimes it's used as a way for a spouse to manipulate their partner into getting what they want. But sometimes it's just because they're emotionally flooded and they're shutting down. It's usually when your heart rate goes over 100 beats per minute. Um, and that's the point when a couple really needs to take a break before things escalate and they say things that they don't really mean. And then the fourth one and the most destructive one is contempt. Um, it's like a far worse, worse form of criticism. It takes it a step further. Um, it can manifest in a variety of ways. For example, um, interrupting your partner, correcting your partner. Um, it conveys this sense of you're wrong and I'm right and I'm smart and you're stupid and I'm up here and you're down there. Um, it's a sense of superiority or of being better than your partner. Um, it can come out as sarcasm. Um, it can be dismissive, like eye rolling. So it's basically the opposite of empathy. And you see this a lot. Uh, in emotionally abusive relationships. And those are, those are the four negative communication patterns that they have discovered um, can lead to divorce. No, that's a great thing that you mentioned this because, you know, what, what, what occurred for me is that, you know, um, whether in a new relationship or just seeing someone, right, knowing these four things that you just mentioned, to being aware to really not engage in them, like criticism, defensiveness, uh, contempt, stonewalling that you just mentioned. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If you see those things, then you might want to run the other way. There you <laughs> go. So right. the contempt. Yeah, because you're talking about in the stage of marriage, right? When these things start happening, right? So what, you know, yeah. what I got to is like even seeing someone, right? Before going into yeah. marriage, right? This is as vital. Yeah, you're absolutely right, because you start creating those communication patterns long before you say, I do. And it can be corrected, right, by both people really seeing like, hey, this is not going to work. If we get married, you know, we can stop it and work on it before doing so, right? I mean, do you see a success rate if that showed up before they both work on it? And then, you know, after marriage, it's like, you know, it's a continuing learning process. Absolutely. There are antidotes to all four horsemen, and we could go into that in depth um, on another pod podcast if you would like. But yes, there's absolutely things you can do to um, not have the four horsemen be present in your relationship. So um, 
stonewalling is that you know that's that's kind of new and maybe I just learned from a different uh have you ever heard of gaslighting yeah that yeah that's a very um common term used and yes I would absolutely say that gaslighting um would maybe actually would fall more into the category of contempt okay so stonewalling typically just looks like one partner getting emotionally like or physiologically overwhelmed and they it kind of invokes their fight or flight response and they just they they don't want to say the wrong thing they don't want to do the wrong thing so they kind of just start to shut down and they just need a break from their partner and you know what happens often is the other will keep pushing and pushing antagonize them and then it escalates right so the partners have to start recognizing when they're getting to the point of being emotionally flooded and separate and take that break. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, but the gaslighting would definitely be over, I think, more under contempt, more present in uh, an emotionally abusive relationship, mm -hmm. right, because they're denying that something even occurred. <laughs> they're trying to talk you out of your feelings, your perception, your um, point of view. If that makes sense. So let's say this started happening, right? Like, you know, you're in a relationship and everything's all great. And then all of a sudden things start changing and um, you notice like the person gets defensive or they start like criticizing. Um, what, you know, what can you say that uh, couples can do right now to communicate more openly? So for the criticism, I gave that example of rather than like attacking their character, asking them in a way where they're addressing a behavior or an action. So that's way, one way you can avoid criticism. Um, the defensiveness is just taking accountability for your actions, for the part you played. Like if you said you were gonna call the insurance company and then you didn't, not saying, well, I was so busy, why didn't you do it? Rather than just saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I was busy, I'll call them right now. So taking accountability can be the antidote to defensiveness. On the stonewalling, like I mentioned, you're not going to be able to prevent it from happening, but you can take a break. You can go to separate spaces. You can engage in an activity that does not, where you're not thinking about it, like reading a magazine or going for a jog or um, listening to a podcast, whatever it may be. And then coming back at a agreed upon time, usually like 20 to 30 minutes later, to try to finish the conversation. Um, and then the contempt is a little more tricky um, because sometimes there's that abusive component. Um, so that, I, you know, you have to be a little bit more careful about how to approach that depending on the level of contempt that's displayed. So what I'm hearing you say, if someone really just does not want to communicate, it's best to just give them space and allow some time to go by and then um, sort of uh, complete the conversation? Yeah, just basically let them step away for a moment and do some self-soothing exercises like progressive muscle relaxation or a guided meditation or whatever kind of helps soothe them and calm them down and bring their heart rate back down. Now, would you say that was some of the stress-reducing conversation you wanted to talk about? Like, what can couples do uh, to communicate more openly? Would that be? Yeah. So, 
Um, there's an intervention that the Gottmans use. It's called the Stress Reducing Conversation, and they created it because it turns out that the way in which couples handle stress is really critical to the health and success of their relationship. And this conversation is meant to be a ritual to keep couples connected um, and offer one another support. And it's meant to be at the end of each day, you know, with no television, no phones, right? Everything, like, set aside. You're only focused on hearing what your partner has to say. Um, it entails discussing a recent or upcoming um, stress in your life, such as like a looming job deadline or how to split the time uh, during the holidays between your parents when you go back to visit. Um, and each partner will take a turn being the speaker and the listener. The speaker's job is to talk about their stress uh, in as much depth and detail as possible. And they're really trying to paint a picture for their partner of what they're experiencing in that moment and how it's impacting them. And then the listener's job, it's a bit more difficult because typically we don't actively listen when someone's speaking. Um, the listener's job is to offer support, try to understand their partner's thoughts and feelings, um, and not be formulating what they're going to say next or how they can solve that problem, right? Often when someone starts talking, a few sentences in or a sentence in, we think we already know what they're going to say and we start formulating our response. So this prevents you from doing that. You're approaching your partner more with um, curiosity and you're observing them. Um, so that means like showing a genuine interest by like maintaining eye contact and asking clarifying questions like, what's bothering you most about that situation or, you know, what can I do to support you in this? Um, what do you need from me? You're really trying to step into their internal world and recognize how they're feeling and what it might, must be like for them in the moment. Um, and then once the speaker's done sharing, you communicate your understanding, you empathize by saying things along the lines of, you know, that really sucks or, um, that's so sad, or I would have been worried by that too. You don't have to agree with them. You just need to be able to say that from their point of view, you can see why they might feel that way. Um, so those are the things you do want to do. The things you do not want to do are the things, you know, we spoke about, like stonewalling, um, ignoring, failing to respond, being defensive, criticizing. The big one being problem solving. Don't try to solve their problems. Um, don't side with the enemy and try to suspend your judgment. Um, you're just trying to confirm that they feel understood. It's, then you can ask, you know, after you've confirmed that you understand what they're saying, that you've offered some empathy, you can then ask, are you interested in receiving advice or problem solving? So rather than just giving unsolicited advice, you're actually asking them if they want any. Because sometimes they don't. What they really need is just they need someone to hear them, to empathize with them, and to be supportive. But if they are open to problem solving, um, it can be helpful to first ask them what some of their ideas are before suggesting some of your own. And then you can move, lastly, um, on to giving advice or problem solving suggestions. So that's the stress-reducing conversation. Wow, I love what you just mentioned, right? It's like, don't try to solve their problem. And sometimes, you know, also as a business owner, I find myself like, you know, whenever something arises, like, how can I solve this or whatever? It's someone else like, okay, what can I do to, uh, you know, um, 
help this person, right? But what you're saying is you want yeah. to ask if they're, you know, they just want someone to listen to them or, you know, they really want some tips on problem solving or is that what I'm getting? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's really natural to want to go into problem solving mode, but the purpose of the conversation is to avoid the problem solving, offer support, and empathize so that they feel heard, right, that active listening piece. So instead of like, okay, so sometimes, right, when someone, um, when someone's doing that, right, and they, and they talk, do you uh, just allow them to talk and just be silent, or what if they pause, then do you just ask them a question based on what they say, or you just kind of, um, you know, kind of repeat what they said just to make sure you heard them right? What would you? Yeah, exactly. You're silent. And when they're done sharing, when they're done talking, you ask, you kind of might you rephrase for them what, so what I heard you say is, and then confirm with them that, you know, is that what you're saying? Confirm that, like, you heard what they were saying. Mm. So it's just really like a kind of um, like you're listening, I'm getting what you're saying, you know, and, and allowing them to keep talking until. Yeah, you just really want them to feel heard and understood. Um, yeah. Would you say asking questions in there? Like if something, you know, like, you know, if someone says, you know, I'm really upset that this is, you know, um, whatever it is and it's okay, well, I see that you're upset. What else are you upset about? Or are you just saying just go with the... the yeah, no, you can ask questions for clarification because you're trying to really understand where they're coming from, right? Like imagine it's happening to you. You're trying to empathize with how it's impacting them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you can absolutely ask, like, well, what about it bothers you the most if it's in an effort to try to understand where they're coming from? Got it. Got it. And I can see how that can be um, in a way that avoids the whole, like, judgment or, uh, you know, uh, problem solving. That's awesome. Thank you, Heidi. So how can people connect with you? Oh, so you can find me on my website at www.heidipottle.com. Is in Paul O T T L E dot com, or you can connect with me on Instagram. My handle is Heidi Pottle dot L M S T. Those are probably the best two ways. Awesome. And Heidi, I want to ask you a question. What does love mean to you? Oh gosh. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think it's unconditional. I think it's supportive. Um, I think it's just really recognizing, respecting a person and not having any, um, not wanting to change them, basically. Accepting them for who they are, flaws and all. I would say that is love. Beautiful, simple, and sweet. Thank you, Heidi, for the difference you continue to make. I enjoy having you on here today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to The Jamie Show. To be a guest on this show, visit jamiehirsch.com and fill out the application. You can follow The Jamie Show on Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another Breakthrough Conversation.